You're listening to an Axe Church sermon. If you haven't heard of Axe Church before, we are a church in Camas, Washington. You can check us out at axecamas.org. You can see what we're about and what we're up to. We're glad you're listening today and hope you enjoy this sermon. So, we've been studying the book of Acts, and we are in, yeah, yeah, that's good. Somebody really likes Acts. Okay, that's good because we'll still be in it for a while, but we're in, we're in chapter 20 of the book of Acts, and, and we're going to get into that in a minute. Last week, we read about a riot that happened in the city of Ephesus. Uh, some people got real upset because lots and lots of people were becoming Christ followers, and less and less people were sort of lining up at the gift shop at the idol's temple uh, to buy these statues and things like that. And so people were losing money, and they were getting very upset, and they tried to start a big riot, right? And that ended up turning out to be nothing. Turned out to be nothing. Now we're going to move into a part of the story, really for the rest of the book of Acts, we're going to be, we're starting to move into this section. We're going to move into it a little bit today, where Paul is going to go through a process where he's going to knowingly go into a situation where he's going to face some serious persecution. He's going to knowingly walk into that, and we're going to see sort of the first foreshadowing of that today. But I want to tell you a story that you probably already know about someone who knowingly faced persecution. And I want you to sort of hear it from the perspective. I've got it in the words of, of the person, and this is about Rosa Parks. And so I'm going to read this to you. I'm just going to read through this story, um, and then I'm going to tell you kind of how it affects us. 33 years later, black people in America still lived under the laws of segregation. We had to eat in different restaurants, go to different schools, and even drink from different water fountains. When riding the public bus, we had to sit in the back section, separated from the whites. By this time, I was married to Raymond Parks. Parks, as I called my husband, didn't like segregation any more than I did. We knew segregation was wrong, but we felt powerless. In the end, God used a simple bus ride to accomplish more than we could have ever dreamed. December 1st, 1955 was just like any other day until I got on the bus that evening to go home. I stepped on the bus at the front and paid my dime to the driver. Then I had to step off the bus and re-enter it in the back, just like always. There were many seats available, and I sat in the first row that black people were allowed in. As we traveled, however, the bus began to fill up. Then it happened. A white man boarded the bus, and there were no more seats in the white section. The driver looked back at me and demanded, let me have those seats. I instantly felt God give me the strength to endure whatever would happen next. God's peace flooded my soul, and my fear melted away. All people were equal in the eyes of God, and I was going to live like the free person God created me to be. I refused to move. The bus driver, J.P. Blake, looked back and said, y'all better make it light on yourselves and let me have those seats. The other three black people in my row got up, but I still refused to move. Blake called the police, and in less than five minutes, they were there. Why do you push us around? I asked one of the officers. I don't know, he answered, but the law is the law, and you're under arrest. To my great relief, I was released from jail later that evening. Three days later, I was found guilty in order to pay a $14 fine. Although the fine was small, I knew the time had come to take a stand. Hurry up, Parks, I called to my husband a few weeks later. We can't be late. I couldn't wait to get to Monday night prayer meeting at church. My arrest had caused our people to unite in protest against segregation. We decided to boycott the public bus system. This meant that no black person would ride a public bus until the laws were changed. This prayer meeting was also part of our protest. We knew that we needed God's help to change the laws of our country. 
The 25-year-old minister, Martin Luther King Jr., was going to speak at our meeting tonight, and I didn't want to miss a word he said. We found a seat just in time. Reverend King looked so young, but when he began to speak, we forgot his age and heard only his message. Our country does not want to give us our freedom, he said. We must demand it. We must protest the law of the land because it violates God's law. But violence is not the answer. It is our duty to protest segregation, but we must do so with dignity and Christian love. Join me in praying that the radiant stars of love and brotherhood will soon shine over our great nation. For 381 days, we stayed off the buses. Churches helped some people find rides to work, and many of us walked several miles to work for over a year. Some people even lost their jobs because they had no way to get to work. But still we pressed on and did not resort to violence. Reverend King got lawyers who took our case to the U.S. Supreme Court. They eventually agreed with us that black people did not need to give up their seats to whites. Although our protest was peaceful, we had still demanded justice based on God's law because black people and some whites had stood together peacefully, the unfair laws of our country were changed. Racism did not disappear just because segregation was no longer legal, but things slowly started to improve, and I was proud to help that happen. Now, what we see here is that Rosa Parks trusted God, even though she knew that doing the right thing would likely result in her going to jail. She did not let fear move her. She would not move because she trusted the Lord. Now, we're going to see this demonstration in Paul. As we move through this passage, I want you to be thinking about this. I want you to be thinking about what moves you? What makes you get up and move? What moves you that should not move you? What things in your life are moving you? What has the Lord called you to do, but you don't do because fear keeps you from walking out in faith and doing those things? I want you to think about that as we walk through this, and there's going to be a few stories, but we're going to kind of come to the point a little bit later as we move through it. So we're going to start in in chapter 20. I'm going to start with verses 1 through 3. It says, after the uproar had ceased, that's the riot that we talked about, Paul called the disciples to himself, embraced them, and departed to Macedonia. Now when he had gone over that region and encouraged them with many words, he came to Greece and stayed three months. And when the Jews plotted against him, as he was about to sail to Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia. Now, Paul has been in Ephesus, as you may remember, for three years, teaching and reaching the whole region of Asia through the preaching he's doing and through those who were hearing it and the Christ followers were multiplying and going out into this whole Roman Roman province of Asia. And so he's now heading out to visit some of the areas that he's been before, okay? Now, before he actually gets to Macedonia, what's not listed here, it just says he's on his way to Macedonia. It doesn't tell us this part, but in 2 Corinthians 2, 12 through 13, we find out that he stops in Troas. It says this in 2 Corinthians. Furthermore, when I came to Troas to preach Christ's gospel, and a door was opened to me by the Lord, I had no rest in my spirit because I did not find Titus, my brother, but taking leave of them, I departed from Macedonia. Now, Troas, if we look at the map here, uh, Troas is up kind of on the right side. You see Ephesus is in the middle all the way on the right of your map. And just a little bit above that, just a ways above that, you see Troas, okay? And this is in modern-day Turkey, but what would have been the Roman province of Asia. Um, so Paul goes to Troas, and it's important because we're going to come back to it in a minute, uh, to Troas. But it's, uh, he heads then from, to Macedonia, which you can see on the map there as you move to the left. Uh, and that is where he visits Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea, and maybe some other churches that may have been built up around there. If you've been with us for a while, you remember us studying about him being in that area. 
Okay, this is thought to be about the year 55 AD, and it is thought that the Holy Spirit inspired Paul to write the book of 2 Corinthians during this part of his journey while he's in Macedonia. So the book of 2 Corinthians is probably written there. Then Paul heads to Greece, which is down below there, the region that's marked Achaia, where you have Athens, you have Corinth. Most likely he spent most of his time in Corinth. And it's thought that Paul, uh, that the Holy Spirit inspired Paul to write the letter to the Romans, which we call the book of Romans, during that period of time while he was in Corinth. Okay, so a lot has been going on in these few verses. Now the Jews have plotted something against Paul. And so instead of going by ship around to Syria, he decides to go, overland back through Macedonia. And we read in verse uh, 4 of chapter 20, And Sopater of Berea accompanied him to Asia also, Aristarchus and Secundus of the Thessalonians, and Gaius of Derbe, and Timothy, and Tychicus, and Trophimus of Asia. All right, all these guys that I just, that I just named, um, several of them we'll find in other places in Scripture where they've done other things. These guys were powerful uh, partners with Paul in the ministry, and we'll actually see them uh, in different places for the rest of this book, and they're mentioned in different letters that Paul writes, which tells us something that's really important as we read through Acts and we see sort of Paul Silas, you know, maybe Barnabas. We hear a few names as really prominently named, but you need to understand that that's not the way the church works, that there's one guy, that it's Paul and he's doing everything. That's not the way the church is designed. In fact, there's all kinds of people, as we see here, and we've seen a multitude of times, the many, many people that the Lord uses to actually do the work. So when, when the word of God is spreading throughout this place and these people are getting saved and these people are getting saved, it's not all Paul. It's not just the Lord using Paul. It's all of these people. All of these people, which is why we constantly focus on the body of Christ and all of our call to help out and to move forward and to do the work that we're called to do. And so we see that here where we mention these these guys working together as a team. Let's read verses 5 and 6. These men going ahead waited for us at Troas, but we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread, and in five days joined them at Troas, where we stayed seven days. So remember, I just told you that he went to Troas first. Now he's coming back to Troas, and they travel up there, and they're going to stay seven days in Troas. Um, And it says here, In verse 7, now on the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul, ready to depart the next day, spoke to them and continued his message until midnight. All right. So Paul and the team are in Troas, and Paul uh, meets with them on what they say here is the first day of the week. And this is is an area of some contention with some believers, uh, whether we should have church on one day or church on another day. What we definitely see here is that at least this early, believers were meeting on Sunday, meeting together, having a service, taking communion together, at least as early as this, okay? Um, and so that's, that's why we do it. We meet on Sundays because the church has been meeting on Sundays for that long. And it says he continued the message until midnight. Now, that's a long service, right? Um, maybe, maybe not. They, they probably met pretty late at night because these guys and, and ladies would have worked a full day, before they were able to come to church. So it may have started at like 10 o'clock and he was speaking till midnight. But it does mention that he's going till midnight. Either way, I promise I will try to get you out of here today before then. Uh, we won't go to midnight. Maybe. We'll see. Um, and so uh, let's look at verses 8 and 9. There were many lamps in the upper room where they were gathered together. And in a window sat a certain young man named Eutychus who was sinking into a deep sleep. 
He was overcome by sleep, and as Paul continued speaking, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. So, uh, the, the room would have been a three-story, on the third story, most likely, okay? These homes, th- this place where they met would have been probably a three-story building. The first story would have been kind of commercial, like a store, that type of thing. The next two floors would have likely been lodging, living space. And so they're really kind of like on an apartment on the third floor of this building. Eutychus is here in the window. Um, his name actually means fortunate although it doesn't seem like that worked out for him this time. Um, he's, you know, he's worked all day. He's listening to Paul. Paul's preaching for kind of a long time. It's midnight. It's late. This guy's overcome with tiredness. He falls out of the window and dies. Now, you may notice as you look around the room here, there are no windows. Um, that's on purpose, right? I'm not even allowed to preach above the first floor of a place because I'm worried that something like this might happen. Um, but no, I mean, this guy was so tired. Paul was preaching for so long. This guy literally fell asleep and fell out of a window. So if you're tired, first lesson, don't sit in a window, okay? That's prescriptive. Don't do that. All right. Um, all right, let's look at the next verse. It says, but, when Paul, but Paul went down, fell on him, and embraced him and said, do not trouble yourselves, for his life is in him. So Paul goes and falls on this guy, which we actually see in a number of places in Scripture. If you want to look up the stories, you can see it happened with Peter, with Elijah, with Elisha, where they fall on someone, the Lord brings the person back to life. And that's what happens here. God brings Eutychus back to life after he's fallen out of this window and died. Now let's look at verses 11 and 12. Now when he had come up, had broken bread and eaten, eaten, and talked a long while, even till break, daybreak, he departed. And they brought the young man in alive, and they were not a little comforted. So, here's what I think is amazing. You're having a church service. You're preaching for maybe a little too long. Somebody gets tired. They fall out a window. They die. God does a miracle, brings the person back to life. And it's not like, yay, that's amazing. Let's pray about it. Let's head home. Paul's like, no, no, no. Let's get back to the service. And they continued to have the service until daybreak. You know, you guys, you know, next time I go 10 minutes over, I just want you to think about that. Okay. They're going till daybreak. This is what the believers are doing. Um, And of course, these people are incredibly blessed and feeling wonderful about the miracle that God did in bringing Eutychus back to life. And Paul takes off. Now, uh, let's look at verses 13 through 17. It says, Then we went ahead to the ship and sailed to Assos. There intending to take Paul on board, for so he had given orders, intending himself to go on foot. And when he met us at Assos, we took him on board and came to Mytilene. We sailed from there, and the next day came opposite Caius. The following day, we arrived at Samos and stayed at Tragilium. The next day, we came to Miletus, for Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus so that he would not have to spend time in Asia, for he was hurrying to be at Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. Okay. A lot of places that we just went to. We're not going to talk about every one. But basically what we know is Paul heads on foot to Assos, tells these guys to take the boat there because Paul maybe wants to go through a few other places and say hi to some of the people, visit some of the people that he's met. I think it's about a 20-mile walk. Um, and then they travel to a number of places on the ship and they stop at Miletus. Okay, but he doesn't stop at Ephesus because he doesn't have time. 
Okay, he, remember, he had been in Ephesus for three years preaching and so on. And if he had stopped there, he probably would have had to spend a lot of time visiting with them, right? Because there's some, sometimes there's things that you do that if you do them, you know it's going to take a long time. Anybody have maybe a person or two in your life where you see their name come up on the caller ID and you, and you just don't have time? right? Um, because it's not that you don't love them. It's not that you don't care and you wouldn't love to talk to them. It's just, it's just you know that pushing the green button, you've got the next hour is gone, right? You know that. Now, if you're out here and you're thinking, that's never happened to me, it's you, okay? <laughs> it's you. Um, and, and we love you. It's just that we don't always have an hour, right? And, and sometimes some of you are thinking, wait a second, that's you, Pastor David. I, and maybe it is. Um, there are times when, when I talk more than I should, Okay, um, but, but it's like that. Paul's having an experience like that. He can't go to Ephesus because he knows he's going to get caught up. He loves these people. He's going to end up spending a bunch of time there, so he cannot go there because it's not going to work out. All right, so we're now going to see what Paul does. It says, from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called for the elders of the church. So instead of going and visiting the whole church at Ephesus and all these people, he goes to Miletus, which is, I believe, about 30 miles south um, of Ephesus, and he asks the elders of the church to come and meet him. Okay? He wants them to come and meet him. And now we're going to see Paul go into sort of a farewell speech with the elders at Ephesus. Okay? He's going to sort of instruct them and give them a speech. And I'm just going to read through um, the, ne- the rest of the chapter, basically, is Paul giving this speech. And so it says, and when they had come to him, he said to them, you know, from the first day that I came to Asia, in what manner I always lived among you, serving the Lord with all humility, with many tears and trials, which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews. Now, Paul, of course, um, he sort of comes off the way he preaches and the way he does his thing. He sort of comes off as very stern, as very serious, as kind of a hard bottom. Um, I, that's the best way I can say that in church, uh, you know, a hard guy, okay? Paul comes off this way, but here, here we see that's not the Paul that, that was really going on. The Paul that was really going on was quick to tears. He would mourn with those who mourned. He was, he was emotionally caught up in the ministry. He loved these people, and he's letting them know that, right? He talks about humility, which was not the order of the day in the Roman Greco world. To be humble was not necessarily something that was looked highly upon. But Paul's saying, listen, I've come, I've served in humility. I've served with tears and trials. I've gone through it with you. I've been with you. And, and, and you've seen my behavior as I was with you. How I kept back nothing that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly and from house to house. Here again, we see the pattern that we've seen from the beginning of the book of Acts. Publicly and house to house. That's what we do here at Acts Church because we are an Acts Church. We do this publicly. On Sunday morning, we get together, we have these services, and then we have life groups, house to house. That's the way the ministry goes. That's the way they were doing it back then. That's the way we do it now. That's what he's telling them. This was the pattern. Testifying to Jews and also to Greeks, repentance towards God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And see now I go bound in the spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there. He's, he's saying, listen, I feel absolutely compelled compelled by the Lord that I need to go to Jerusalem. I need to go from here and I need to go to Jerusalem and I don't know what's going to happen to me there except this, he says, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city saying that chains and tribulations await me. 
So we're going to see, Lord willing, as we continue to go through Acts, a couple more times where there are prophecies as Paul's on his way back to Jerusalem where they, where they tell him, you're going to be in chains, you're going to face trials, you're going to face tribulation, don't go. If, you go. if you go there, bad things are going to happen to you. And so Paul is aware of this, and apparently it's been happening the whole time. Apparently he's been getting people prophesying, saying bad things are going to happen when you get to Jerusalem for a while now. And this is what Paul says about it. But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. We're going to come back to this verse. This is the one we're going to kind of hone in on here at the end of the the, um, message. But that's an incredibly important verse, and it connects to what we were talking about there at the beginning with Rosa Parks and the questions I asked asked you. But he says, and indeed, now I know that you all, among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God, will see my face no more. Okay? He's, not, he's not expecting to see them again. This is kind of it. This is kind of his final thing that he's talking to them about, okay? Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. Now, we talked about this before. Paul is referencing this watchman from Ezekiel. If I tell you the truth, if I share with you, if I don't shun from telling you everything you need to know, then now you're responsible and I'm not responsible anymore. So he's saying before all these people, listen, I'm testifying in front of you. I've said what needs to be said. I've told you the truth and therefore I'm innocent. I'm innocent of anyone who chooses not to do the things that God's called them to do because I've told you the truth. I've modeled it. This is what, this is what I've done for you. And this should be the story that we all have with everybody, right? That we don't shun away from speaking the truth, from speaking the whole counsel of God, that we say what needs to be said, that we live the way that we're supposed to live so that we're innocent. Because if we don't say something, then somebody might come back and say, well, I didn't know, you didn't tell me. But if we do say what we need to say, and we're always listening to the Holy Spirit for what needs to be said, and we act the way we're supposed to act, then we're innocent. Then we're innocent of those who choose not to do what God has called them to do. For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves, men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. Now this, I don't know if this is intended to be a prophecy, but it comes true. Uh, it comes true, and you can read about those that actually did come in and start preaching false doctrines and start preaching heresies and things like that to these Ephesians. If you look in First and Second Timothy, First and Second John, you'll see them talking about what actually happened. So Paul, uh, whether he's prophesying or whether he's just warning churches in general, he's saying, look, things, people are going to come in. People are going to say things that are untrue. You are responsible, as he says in the next verse, therefore watch. And remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. So these are the elders, remember? And he's saying, listen, your job is to watch. Your job is to be responsible for what's happening, for what's being taught, that the word of God is taught correctly. You're to protect. You're to defend. You're to keep people from saying things that they ought not to say so that the people will hear the truth. And this is an important thing. This is an important job for elders. Acts Church has a number of elders, and we have a plurality of elders. And one of the reasons we have a plurality of elders is so that we can watch not only after those who God's given us to serve, 
but so that we can watch each other to make sure that the things that are taught, the things that are preached and so on are from the word of God and aren't getting off somewhere. If there's just one person who's responsible, they can get off because there's nobody there to correct them. That's why we have elders. That's why Paul has set these guys up in Ephesus to do the very same thing. So now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. Yes, you yourselves know that these hands have provided for my necessities and for those who are with me. I have shown you in every way by laboring like this that you must support the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. So, uh, first of all, that quote from Jesus is actually not in the Gospels. That's a quote that either he heard from one of the disciples or one of the people who witnessed Jesus preaching or something that Jesus revealed to him himself. Okay, so you won't actually find that quote in Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. It's better to give, it's more blessed to give than to receive. But he's saying, listen, you saw the way I worked among you, you saw the way I did my thing among you. What I'm trying to show you is that you need to keep, take care to make sure that you're taking care of those who are weaker, who can't, who can't afford things who can't make it. You need to watch over those in the church. You need to take care of them. You need to look out for the weak. He's telling them that. He's, these, elders, these elders have been called by the Holy Spirit to watch over the church. They've been called by the Holy Spirit to watch over the church, and Paul wants to make sure that he has not left them without giving them everything that they need to know, that Christ died for the church, and that they're responsible to serve the church effectively, take care of the poor, Watch the teaching. Watch out for the people. Take care of them. That's why it's such a serious, serious calling and serious job to do. It's a serious service. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. Then they all wept freely and fell on Paul's neck and kissed him, sorrowing most of all for the words which he spoke, that they would see his face no more. And they accompanied him to the ship. They're sad, right? They've hung out with Paul for a long time. He's been their brother. He's, he's taught them. Uh, he's telling them, hey, look, you're not going to see me anymore. And they're bummed out. Uh, that's, and that's how it is. We've had people who've had to go, have been called away from this church, and it's hard. It's hard to see people go. Even if you know they're going on to something good and something the Lord's called them, it's hard. When, when my wife and I left Tennessee, you know, we had been there, and we, and we loved those people, and we had great friendships, and, and we'd been effectively working in the church. The Lord had been using us. And when we had to go, it was like this. There were tears, right? And I didn't even give a good speech like Paul gave. Um, but, but there were still, you know, tears, and it was amazingly difficult. And although they knew we were coming out here, and they were praying for all of you, that, that I would be able to connect with you and that we would, we would continue, I would continue to be able to have those around me who love the Lord and who we would grow together and so on, they were very sad that, it wouldn't, that I wouldn't be with them anymore. They wouldn't get to be with me anymore. And it would be the same thing if any one of you had to go on from here, but it's a tough thing. But it's a good thing too because Paul's got to go on. He's got to go on to the next thing. And so they have this time, they cry, they let him go. Now I want to go back to verse 24, Okay. But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Here's the thing about this verse that's, that's interesting. Paul knows, he knows that he's going to be in chains. Okay, He knows that he's going to have tribulation. He knows it. And he's telling these people that he is not moved by that. 
He's not moved by that. Not only that, he's heading in that direction on purpose. On purpose. I want you to put yourself, just for a second, I just want you to put yourself in that situation. God has called you to go do something, and you know that by doing it, what's going to come is chains and pain. Tribulation. You know that that is what is waiting for you there. So why is it, why is it that he's not moved? Why is it that he goes? It says, he says, I'm going to finish my race with joy. It doesn't sound joyful to me to be in chains. It doesn't sound joyful to deal with tribulation and pain. But he's fulfilling a calling he received from the Lord to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Now, here's the deal. There is nothing, nothing like being in the will of God. There's nothing like knowing that you are doing exactly what God has called you to do. And in this case, it's such a powerful thing that Paul's not afraid. He's not afraid. Everything that we've seen from the beginning with Paul after his conversion, everything that we've seen him do testifies to what he says here in this verse. He just keeps going and going and going and going, following what God has called him to do over and over through pain, through beatings, through torture, through being stoned. For those of you who are new, that's getting rocks thrown at you. It's not a Northwest thing. Um, that's a whole different kind of stone. But he, he's had all kinds of stuff that have happened to him, okay? And, and he's saying, none of these things move me. None of these things move me. And nobody knows better than Paul how painful it's going to be because he's experienced it all before. Here's the deal. All of you have a race. Every one of you has a race that you've been called to run. All of you have a calling that you've received from the Lord or that you will receive from the Lord. you got to listen. And every one of your callings, this is important, this is the fun part, every one of your callings will have tribulation and difficulty. There will be aspects of tribulation and difficulty in every one of your callings. None of them, God is going to call none of you, I promise. To, he's not going to be like, okay, Jimmy, here's your calling. I want you to go to the tulip field and dance. That's it. Just dance in the tulip field. If you get tired, sit down, have a soda. That's your calling. Not going to happen, okay? And if he does call you, there's going to be a bunch of bees there or something, okay? There's going to be tribulation and difficulty because we live in a fallen world, and that's just the way it is. And yet, you ought not to be moved. You ought not to be moved. In fact, you ought to be looking for that calling and desiring it, desiring what that calling is. So what does Paul mean when he says these things don't move him? Is he some sort of superhuman? Is Paul superhuman? He has no fear? No, that's not it at all. He's not saying he's not afraid in any way. He's saying he's not moved. He refuses to care more about his physical life and his comfort and his pleasure. He refuses to care more about that than he does about his calling. He cares more about his calling than his comfort. And any fear that he has, he's giving to Christ and trusting Christ. Now, we just saw that when we read the story about Rosa Parks. 
What did she say? I instantly felt God give me the strength to endure whatever would happen next. God's peace flooded my soul and my fear melted away. This is a woman who loved the Lord. This is a woman who would not move when she knew that the Lord was calling her to do something. And it made a huge change. Rosa Parks, like Paul, cared more about following what she felt God had called her to do then she cared about what would happen to her as she trusted the Lord. And there was a long struggle, as we read, right? 381 days, they're boycotting, has to go to the Supreme Court. We're still dealing with some of those issues. But there was victory, and we will see Paul go through a long struggle. But here's the thing, and a long struggle, basically the rest of the book of Acts. But this is the thing you might want to think about, that 2,000 years later, a little short of 2,000 years later, Here we sit, mostly a bunch of Gentiles in a room in Vancouver, Camas, who know Jesus and are following him, largely because of what Paul and these other early Christians did when they would not be moved. Largely because of what the Lord did through those who trusted him enough to say, bad things are going to happen, and I'm going to face them in the strength of the Lord. God has something for you. You need to let that sink in. Because if you're thinking, look, I'm just trying to make it here. I'm just trying to get through today. I'm just trying to get through tomorrow. I'm just trying to pay the bills. I'm just trying to do whatever. Yeah, all of us are. That's true. But there's something so much bigger than that going on. You have so much more purpose. This is something that the world will not tell you. This is something that the Discovery Channel will not tell you. This is something you will not hear in your public school. This is something you will not hear from many places. But you're going to hear it from me because it's what Scripture says. You have a purpose and a plan. God has something for you. He has something for you. He has a plan for you. Do you believe that? You need to because it's true. Now, are you letting something move you from that? If we're not completely surrendered to Christ, if we are moved by fear of fulfilling our calling, then then we're in trouble. So in order to not be moved by fear of fulfilling our calling, we've got to be completely surrendered to Christ. This is what C.S. Lewis says. The Christian way is hard and easy. Christ says, give me all. I don't want so much of your time and so much of your money and so much of your work. I want you. I have not come to torment your natural self, but to kill it. No half measures are any good. I don't want to cut off a branch here and a branch there. I want to have the whole tree down. I don't want to drill the tooth or crown it or stop it, but to have it out. Hand over the whole natural self, all the desires which you think innocent, as well as the ones which you think wicked. The whole outfit. I will give you a new self instead. In fact, I will give you myself. My own will shall become yours. We have to completely surrender and completely trust God if we want to not be moved in the face of our calling. If we want to look like Paul and all the things that God did through him and you know, preaching until people fall out of windows and die, but then seeing the Lord raise him from the dead and all these things that we've read through all these chapters, we want to see that in our lives, the Lord using us like that in an amazing way, then we can't hold on to our own ideas about how to do things and our own strength. Of course, Paul could not face the trials that were in front of him in his own strength. No way. He's not a superman. In fact, you know, he had some physical issues. 
the reason he wasn't moved is because he knew that God would give Paul God's strength to face whatever God called Paul to do. Do you trust God to give you the strength to fulfill your calling? Do you trust God to give you your calling? Are you moved by just thinking about what it means to surrender completely to Christ? Are you, are, are you moved by just thinking about what your calling might be? Is there fear in that? Look, don't be moved. Don't be moved. 2 Timothy 1, 7, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. God will bring you through in his strength. Seek out what God is calling you to do. That's the first thing you need to do. Surrender and seek. What are you calling me to do? Whatever you say, Lord, I will do. That's what surrender looks like. Not, Lord, I'll do the tulips thing. The tulips thing I'll do. Dancing through the tulips. I don't know if that sounds fun to anybody, but it's at least not that dangerous. I'll do that. But don't call me to do something else. No, no, no. Let's not talk about missions work. Let's not talk about crazy sacrificial giving. Let's not talk about tons and tons of service. Let's not talk about pouring myself out for it. Let's talk about tulips. That I'll do. Well, that's not surrender. Surrender says, whatever you call me to do, I'm going to do, and I will have no fear in it because I believe that you would not call me to it if you were not going to strengthen me to do it. So seek out what God is calling you to do. And like Paul, don't be moved by anything. What God calls you to do, God will give you the strength to conquer. Paul's story is every believer, every Christ follower's story. Having a call and having the faith and trust in God to walk in that call. Run your race and don't be moved. Well, thanks for listening to our sermon. Again, this has been a sermon from Axe Church in Camas, Washington. We hope you enjoyed it and got a lot out of it. If you did, you can subscribe to our channel as well as liking and commenting. We love to hear how these sermons are impacting you. You can also take a look at our podcast series that we have out. And we'll catch you again next week.